Hi, you're listening to Andrew Farris on NXS Access All Areas with Hayden and B. Check it out. Welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is Bee and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums and oh so much more. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside, it's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, hello to Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Cameron, Sue D, Joe Robbins, Paul Boozy, Pedro, Lisa Urban, Foxy, Felicia, Sarah Markram, Laurie, Carmen, Matt Dean, Mandy, Linda, Danielle, Dr. Jim, Amanda, Leon, David, Sarah Markram, Anne-Marie, Lisa Calloway, Lisa Mack, Kathy, Carrie-Anne, Vern, Caroline, Paul Jolie, Sandrine, Tracy, Tony, Warren, Sue B, Sue P, Amanda, Ella, Ryder, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Val, Stefan, Jim, Kelly and Mati. Well, hello, welcome to In Excess Access All Areas, episode 59, the podcast that dives deep into this legendary band and help get them into the Hall of Fame and have fun with a great community and bring on new listeners. B, how are you? How excited are you for today? Yay, it's Wembley! 30 <laughs> years. Woohoo! It doesn't feel like 30 years. It makes us feel fractionally old, but it makes us feel nostalgic, doesn't it? No, but when you watch it it's and, and going to listen to this now, it just takes you all the way back and being a kid again. It's yeah. great. Love yeah. it. Absolutely. This is really, really cool, everybody. Just You just get your popcorn <laughs> or whatever you need to get, your cupcakes, yeah. and just sit back and listen to these guys. Well, it's this is, uh, again... This is a relationship threatener. Uh, it's a midweek drop. It's uh, an extra commitment to, to us and the band and things. So tread lightly or, uh, you know, if you need some time away from the loved one or the kids or whatever there or you are going for extra walks, um, consider it a, a, an extra tool to, to help you in your day-to-day life. We hope you enjoy. But um, uh, stress thought- that this is part one as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, what we thought we'd do, just just to give a bit of a uh, sort of a, a, a heads up about just uh, who's on and, and just the, the format, um, uh, we do welcome uh, Cameron uh, Adams, who's the uh, senior musical entertainment writer for The Herald Sun um, and also for News Limited throughout the country in Australia. So he's probably any major sort of music or entertainment sort of story, um, you know, Cameron would have his fingerprints or knowledge all over it. And, uh, um, you know, we thank uh, Cameron for his support uh, throughout the last, uh, I guess, 12 months, um, giving us a couple of good little write-ups or a couple of good little acknowledgements. So really pleased to have him on today. Uh, secondly, we do have uh, Mark Oper to, uh, look, recent honorary uh, patron for us and uh, probably the most generous giving sort of person that um, we've sort of come across so far uh, with Nick Egan, I guess, who we'll welcome in a moment. But um, 
uh, Mark's memory and insights and uh, stories that he'll he'll share with the listeners today uh, uh, a class. And um, you know he's been sort of intrinsic in the recording. Uh, but also in the friendship and just the development of In Excess as a band. And, um, you know, Mark is such a humble, giving, generous uh, contributor to, I think, everyone he works with. And mm-hmm. um, he's, you know, got some new projects coming up, which are very exciting that we'll, we'll share. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, again, we're, we're really, really thankful to have uh, Mark on, who was there uh, on the day. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, we would like to also just uh, mention we have Nick Egan on, who was probably our first ever Uber guest, mm-hmm. uh, and and probably B gave us a little bit of confidence to go, hey, look, we maybe maybe we're good enough to interview some people <laughs> beyond our uh, friends and family, you know, so to speak. We could sort of mention though, Nick has been recording with John Taylor from Duran Duran and an up and coming artist called Merchant, who we have mm-hmm. highlighted before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick's been working extreme hours and has been had a little bit of a stress and uh, sleep patterns all over the place. And uh, with England uh, in the World Cup final uh, at the time of recording, uh, I guess uh, he, uh, you know, committed to come on, which was great. And uh, boy, did mm-hmm. he uh, share some great stuff as well. Yeah, so we thank really good. Nick for his contributions too. All right, let's get on with it. Let's get on with it, guys. Hi, this is Ella from Middleburg, the Netherlands. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and Dee. And now it's time for the topic of the week. today that uh, when we revisited 30 years later, um, I guess we are joined uh, first in Australia here by uh, Cameron Adams from the uh, Herald Sun. Hi Cameron, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Mark Oferds, who is beaming in from uh, Brisbane, Australia. Hi Mark. Hi, actually on Hope Island, Australia. Oh, Hope Island. Yes. Close enough. Close enough. Nick Egan, all the way from LA, who's been up to the extreme hours working very hard recently. Hello, Nick. Hi, guys. Uh, and B from Coffs Harbour. Hello, B, my co-host. Hello, everybody. Well, B's at Wembley. Uh, well, yeah. B, I, I am. B's got a, a Wembley backdrop there, which is uh, fantastic and things. Uh, look, we are enthusiastic about sort of getting on and reminiscing about today, 30 years since uh, uh, Wembley uh, in excess sort of effectively conquered the world. Uh, it was the last pillar of pilgrimage around the world to uh, conquer all markets. And I think July 13th, 1991 was the day that... Uh, 
Uh, a lot of the English uh, naysayers probably ate their words, uh, Mark Opitz, and uh, the band were particularly proud uh, of their accomplishment of uh, selling out Wembley. Absolutely. Uh, it was a, a last nut to crack, really. You know, Nick and I were talking recently about it, where they really became a world band, you know, and in a lot of ways, you know, with, with England, it's, it's um, they mightn't have the record sales, but they have the cultural significance, mm-hmm. you know, is, which, which is really important for the band. And that, and that was the last, as I said, that really just cracking that. And then we, then we had an album that went number one, you know, not so long after that as well. So. I think the other thing that's important, and Mark just touched upon that a little, was that um, I know that I'm not sure whether this is the colonial thing that was a leftover from the colonial thing, but it, it, was, it was really was a big deal for them to make it in England. And, and I think it meant more to them when they played it when they did break it in the States. Because as Mark said, it's not the biggest market in the world, but it's certainly one of the most influential markets in the world. And the UK were the last to really jump aboard the NXS bandwagon and, and, and take them on fully. Um, and I knew that that being English myself and growing up and having that, that, that the English having that slightly patronizing thing towards Australia and Australian culture, sort of yeah, with Dame Edna and 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 that kind of stuff. They yeah, and then Men at Work. They always thought of Australians being a little bit of a fun, the funny side of things. That's so right. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, Rolf Harris, Tommy Kangaroo Downsport. You know, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Right. They needed to be taken and, seriously. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and and this was the first time I think the English really took them and took them seriously. And when they took them on, they I think they took them on bigger than anyone did and that was that really was on display at Wembley that day I mean there's no doubt about that also ironic there's sort of an irony today that that England just um, made it to the Euros finals today playing at Wembley just been watching that have you well no that was earlier today but but I think it's a funny thing that we're talking about Wembley and Mm. and uh, Wembley being the the sort of the, the, the place where England won the World Cup and and England, the England national team have not won a won a, uh, a competition since then. And, and today, when we're talking, they just made it to the finals for the first time, the final for the first time since 1966. And Wembley was definitely a uh, when we we're at Wembley, as Mark would say, they, they presented the band with little mini Wembley stadiums, and, and we got to hold the FA Cup, which is sort of an iconic trophy. So everything about the Wembley experience was something special. No, it's. first time and he in his words he put it you felt like you were one of the you you were one and part of the band uh, and we were all, all were the band and and that we um we all kind of had this equal status it was, that's not really completely correct way to say it but, but we certainly felt we were part of a team it was a we're team absolutely yeah. nick's absolutely right you know it was nick and i have seen a, a lot of shows and, and particularly i've seen been to a lot of nxs shows and been, you know, done a lot of records with them and things like that. But that particular day, that was a unit. It, it, we, we just felt like we were part of In Excess Incorporated, so to speak, you know, the band, or we, you know, particularly creatives like Nick and I who were very close to the band for that period. And so, yeah. and, and for us to see the culmination of that, as Nick has so rightly pointed out, the last time, it was 55 years ago at Wembley Stadium when England won won the World <laughs> Cup. But yeah, we we definitely 
felt like part of the band. But there's a lot to that. You know, there's, you know, obviously the road crew, there's Colin Ellis who's mixing up front. There's, uh, you know, the wardrobe mistress. uh, So who coordinated it all then? So who who was the person who was, like, making sure that it was running smoothly? Because it was a big show. It, well, obviously, the, the tour manager at the time was Michael Long. Michael Long. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, it was great. And, uh, yeah, great guy. Very, very efficient. Always made sure he had the best room at all the hotels we were staying at because <laughs> uh, he, was, he was the one doing the deals. Uh, yeah. And the production manager, I just can't remember his name, great production manager, you know, but and obviously Chris Murphy, you know, um, and it was Murphy's idea. Originally, with I remember I'd, I'd gone back to Australia because I'd been touring with the band for the whole X tour in America and in South America and Europe, and I'd gone back to work on the what we thought was the album at the time, uh, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and I got this you know call you know from Murphy saying we're doing this, we're doing that, get here and and we're into it, you know. So there was there was this lead up to it that went for a, a week and I can remember you know some I've been just looking around before I've got so many I've got Michael's hotel bill somewhere around here <laughs> you know? how much was that tell us yeah. <laughs> oh, but, like, it's ridiculous you know, and, um, <laughs> and, and I've got lots of paperwork and I've just been digging around for half an hour and, and I haven't been able to find it unfortunately but um, I, I remember the show cost a lot of money a lot of money, yeah. and the fee was massive. But at the end, you know, uh, I remember Michael saying to me, he asked Chris, well, how much I get and pay for it? And Chris said, nothing. Well, you might get enough to cover your drinks bill at the hotel, at the Carlton Towers, that's it. Yeah, the Carlton Towers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the other person I think needs a lot of credit as well is uh, Tim Pope, security guy. Jeff Pope. Who, 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 Jeff Pope, I mean, Jeff Pope. Yeah, absolutely. Who, who, who was such a lovely, gentle person but he was yeah. like he, he never wanted to mess with Jeff but he was he, he never threw his weight around and he protected the band but he didn't just protect the band he protected the entourage as well exactly. and, and, and and he kept it because it, it, it got borderline hysteria with the audience at some point and 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 you know again um Mark and I were talking about this last night you know when we were we all stayed in the, at the hotel at the, the Carlton down in um what's the Carlton right down in Mayfair yeah uh, just um, off Slime Street yeah, off Stone Street near near Harrods, and and um, we were Michael Long had arranged limos for the guys, a limo each, I think it was. But Michael had too many friends, and it's Ollie Olson, myself, Martha Trout, um, um, and, and a whole load of other Mark, my, and and um, he couldn't fit him in a limo, so Michael got um, Michael Long to get him a passenger van. So like we a got mini bus. Pass- like yeah. a minibus, yeah. You've so got footage like, of that, I mean, haven't you, Nick? Well, I've got footage of it somewhere. I've got footage yeah. of a lot of stuff. I've got a lot of footage backstage at Wembley and and sound check the day before. I've got a lot of film on stage with the band, and I've got to find that footage. But um, but we went to Wem- Wembley. And Mark also has memories of this, and we got we picked up a police escort, didn't we, Mark? Yeah. And that's when you started to realise this was well, serious. Exactly. Well, when we we we. First off, the, the rest of the band weren't just avoiding us. They had family and stuff like that as well with them, so they had to have a limo to take their families out. Also, Kirk always likes to get to the show three hours early, so he was out there hours before, and right. as was Andrew. And then obviously Tim and Gary 
and, and John had, you know, family members and all that, and they, they went out. But as Nick correctly says, we got, had this small bus. And I remember we all piled onto the bus and as with those, uh, everyone, and ex-tour managers, a lot of people, you know, Sam Evans, obviously, um, but people close to the band. And anyway, we were driving along, we are all going, oh, this is great, and Michael was sort of vibing away. And, and then we, we got through Hampstead, we picked up the police escort, and that's the moment the magic started. It yeah. just, oh, it whole, I've, got, I've got goosebumps thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, they're on their bikes with their little blue lights flashing and, and closing down streets. And and, um, and then I remember turning into Wembley and, and seeing the Wembley Stadium and, and, going, and going to that big, gigantic door they had there. It was the other person that was there, Michael, another Michael. There was all these Michaels, Michael um, Hamlin. Michael Hamlin and his, and his right. wife was there. And Michael Hamlin had a production company um, that Richard Lansing worked with. I believe Richard Lansing was there too. And then we walked into that, into Wembley, and he got... And this is, this is my observation of Wembley, and this is something I want to, to, to get across. When you, when, you, when you... And this happens with any band. I've been on, like Mark, I've been on the road with a lot of bands. During the daytime... The band and everyone, it's, it's a little industry that goes on. It's like nobody, there's no hierarchy, if you like. I mean, the band are in, intermingling with the crew and the crew intermingling and all the backstage people. And it becomes a very sort of like an open, almost like a little open village. And everybody's kind of strolling around. And then there comes a time when it gets close to the show when it starts quieting down a little bit. And then you start to, you, 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 the, the band starts to separate from the rest of the, of the crew. And you get this thing where, the, as the band walk up towards the stage, and I walk with them towards the stage, everybody kind of backs away. It's like it's like the it's like the 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 the, the seas parting, and everyone kind of sort of sort of backs away in respect to the band coming through. So like like there's like kind of rock royalties. They walk towards the stage, and then you walk up these these stairs, and it's kind of dark. And you stood there, and I stood right close to the band and close to Michael, and I watched my friends and friends and the whole band. And I watched Michael go into this, what I used to say was a bit like Superman going into the phone booth <laughs> when Superman would spill off his thing. And Michael would stand in and he, he was not lost, but you couldn't you couldn't get to him at this point. He'd gone into this kind of like, almost like superhuman state where you didn't even want to say Michael or speak to him. And then he'd take, they'd take that kind of breath and then they kind of like bound out on towards the stage. and. And then I, I, uh, that's when I saw the audience for the first time because all the lights went up and Michael went out on stage and the band went on stage into a sea of like 80,000 people that just was like this undulating kind of hypnotic mass of humanity. And then you get this kind of like chill down the back of your spine that's, I know that person. He's a, he's a friend of mine. Look, yeah. look, at, look at the command he's got over this, yeah. this crowd. Yeah. Would you like that? 
transition it was seeing them it's seeing these very ordinary we say you know down to earth blokes australian guys chatting with the chatting with the whoever was out there in the backstage area and it just being sort of humble and friendly to everyone to becoming suddenly these these um deities as you were as they walked towards the stage and and that was always a, a thing i don't think anyone ever really got to see that kind of transition, transition. from mm. yeah and it's happened i've seen it with duran duran and i've seen it with um oasis and i've seen yeah bands backstage and i've seen the same thing it wasn't exclusively in an excess thing but um that 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 transition that you go into but it's an interesting um it's just an interesting look at the way suddenly a human normal human being becomes like a rock god or or, or superstar it, it, it's an unusual um it's an unusual thing to witness. Frank Wembley behind me, as you can see, and a million roadies are constructing what may be the biggest set in the world. And there's lots of people going two, two into microphones. That means the big dad's approaching me. And the meat of that bill is just over here. Tim Farris and Michael Hutchins. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Of course, in the uh, history of this band, you've always played stadiums like this, right? Yeah, we started out <laughs> in stadiums, actually. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Worked our way backwards. <laughs> you must have played some, as they say, uh, toilets in your time. Small. Yeah, time. no, it's incredible. We're just looking at it from here and thinking, that you know, six boys from the suburbs in Sydney ended up here. You know, it's mm. great. We've done, so, yeah, we've done a lot of dives. <laughs> and maybe one of them. We're not sure yet. And uh, when, you when you see this, do you, I mean, you might, does your throat go dry? Do you think, oh, God, tomorrow? You know. Um, I like to say yes, but no, I'm I'm, I'm jaded. You <laughs> Just know. another seventy thousand stadium. <laughs> yeah, right? really. Yeah, you don't get nervous <laughs> at all, huh? No, actually, I don't. Um, we've been doing a lot of festivals of pretty similar size audiences. I mean, this is a special gig, though. It has its own aura, I suppose. And, yeah. And, but Mark, yeah, I mean, I mean you, you're not one of them bands who walks out and goes, "Hello, Berlin," when you're in Edinburgh, are you? Uh, we've been nearly. We've been close. <laughs> yeah? yeah. Why do you no. tour so much? I mean, in excess seem to be forever on the road. I know rock bands like to tour, but do you get too much? Uh, yes. Sometimes, no, I don't know. Why do we talk so much? I guess we, we really just worked off a live thing for a long time. We'd, people weren't necessarily playing us on the radio, so we just toured around a lot, you know? Then there's the money, of course, I tell you. No, I mean, basically, the, the reason we toured um, so much, I think, was because coming from Australia, it's a, it seems like a very big world. And to us, you know, we got famous in Australia and America prominently from playing live. But yeah. mm -hmm. little to do with sort stadiums of... Stadiums um, like this aren't done in, in Australia, is that right? Uh, no, there's not not very many stadiums at all like this to have uh, yeah. any pollution laws. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank God for London. Huh? <laughs> Michael, uh, you've been to see a specialist, yeah? Should people be worried about this? What's the deal with the throat? Uh, I'm, oh, that's specialist. That's specialist. <laughs> um, who told you that? Uh, did you, just a little uh, little bit of gossip on the grapevine. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's, it'll be okay. It's it'll just an fine. occupational hazard of the yeah. throat. Yeah. No problems. Yeah, I I so. Unfortunately, though, I won't be singing because I have a sore throat. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I hope everyone still comes. Yeah. <laughs> you see, you've made two remarks about that now, Julius. Do you feel overshadowed by this bloke? No, not at all. Come on, do you feel overshadowed by it? I mean, <laughs> where is that shadow? Yeah, I mean, do you, do you at all? I mean, you know. No, not at all. I mean, why would I? Yeah. Just because he's on the front cover of every magazine and 
<laughs> newspaper and I mean well you've got, you got to sing give us a plug for the sing what's it called Bit of tears. Oh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. And look out for it. It's Michael Hutchins and his In Excess band. No, it's not. It's In Excess. And here's the video. Okay, and we're in the, the bus, and, and, and Nick will testify that, uh, to this. Then Michael got up from where he was sitting and was running up and down the bus, you know, going, "Oh yeah, fuck yeah, this is it, man!" You know, <laughs> and we're and of course that we're all getting vibed, you know, we're just going, "Oh, this is some, you know, goosebumps going off everywhere." When we put, and then we got to the ground, and about say half a half a mile out of the ground, there's crowds, and the crowd obviously know this is. the band band or whatever coming in and for me personally it was uh, going through the audience and everyone just you know trying to look inside the bus but it was seeing those two white towers of Wembley Stadium when you see those towers as you come through the gate uh, you know before you get to the gate and you go and you know as I said I've been to a million shows nothing phases me but boy this was just something else this was something else and as Nick points out you know, we were all ushered into this giant dressing room. And in the dressing room, you couldn't move. There must have been 50 to 100 people in there. And, uh, you know, from rock stars, you know, from Kylie, obviously, Helena, all families, you know, the odd Rolling Stone, I don't know, you know, different yeah. bands, whatever. And everyone was there. Then it got to a point about, oh, it must have been, I went out and checked went out on stage before In Excess went out and I, I checked the crowd out and I was just wanted to have a look. I pretended I was mucking around with microphones, but I wasn't touching <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to get a vibe and exactly. I've gone back in. And then when I've gone back in, Michael Long has said, okay, essential personnel only. And he's cleared the whole room out. And that's, uh, at that stage it was the band, wardrobe mistress, Jeff Pope, myself, Michael Long and Chris Murphy had gone down from this tumultuous thing to this almost like pre-football match situation. And 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 so, you know, like, oh, shit, what do I do? So in in my case, you know, I'm not sure if Nick was still in the room or he'd gone off. No, I got kicked out. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, so I'm walking around and what, what surprised me, you know, like I was nervous, but the band was just so relaxed, you know. And to the point where Johnny had said, oh, listen, I'm, I'm going to go out and get in my drum hut. He had a drum hut behind his drums. When you look at the drums, there's a behind, right behind him, this little door, and it goes into a, a, a 10 foot by 10 foot space where he's got all his electrical stuff and he's got his roadie in there and his little, his little temple where he can hang out and do stuff cool. and, and be ready to go when the band comes on stage. And he's obviously looked out. But in the meantime, we're in the dressing room and uh, and so I'm doing my usual, you know, football coach talk, you know, going up to individual members, you know, going uh, this and that and that because that's primarily why I was on the tour and up in the first place and just, get, you know, just talking to each of the guys and all that sort of stuff and I'd finished talking to Tim or uh, then Michael saunters up to me 
you know, in a typical Michael, totally nerveless. And he's got a pair of headphones on. And he puts, he says, listen to this, and he puts his headphones on my head. And it was Massive Attack Blue Lines album. He had a mm. pre-release copy. And he was playing unfinished uh, symphony, uh, wow. symphony for me on the, um, and he said, how cool is that? You know, how cool, and as I was doing, he said, hold out your hand. And he gave me one of Pete Lorimer's little tablets. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, and then he looked at me, he said, the stairs, at the start of the stairs. <laughs> okay. In other words, that's when everyone was dropping theirs, you know. And so, and so, you know, I, I okay, sounds good to me. I, met, I walked down the side to, uh, past the stage. I remember Nick was there, uh, Kylie was there as well, and maybe Helena was there, I can't remember. Yeah, then both I, there. yeah that was a funny thing. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was a bit weird. Yeah. And then I, <laughs> and he was I, I relaxed. Yeah, he might have broken up with Kylie, but he was he was with Helena at that point. But, yeah, but, but that was Kylie did come to the show because I got a videotape of the two of them hugging. Yeah. Michael. Uh, and the, uh, the funny thing, you know, going back when we were in New York at the Plaza Hotel, Michael and I were having um, having a drink in, in, in the in the Oak Room. Kylie's coming in for the weekend, but I've got this girl, Helena, who I've been trying to, you know, get for ages. And, he's, you know, and he said, can you look after Kylie for me? And I said, fuck you, Michael. <laughs> That's your problem. What ended up happening was that I ended up going on Michael's first date with Helena as a chaperone. <laughs> so it was me, uh, Jimmy Barnes's wife's sister, Kay, as was my date, and Michael and Helena, and, we, and it was back in the oak room again where we had the thing. I did a similar thing when Michael broke up with Helena and was going out with Paula. I had to be the chaperone one night uh, too, so, <laughs> well, so we I know should exactly get special, what you're talking about. We should oh, get bless special, you, Michael. <laughs> we should get we should get special patron status. Something we should <laughs> oh, no, exactly. because we had to do his dirty work in, in the words <laughs> of Steely Dan. Yeah, I know, I know. And, uh, yeah, but, look, and again, it's just a quick aside. But that particular night, you know, it was after Michael had been on TV with Paula, and that we were going out with Elena, and Michael bought. Um, Helena, a $20,000 necklace. And I said, that's a 20,000 admission of guilt. I said, if you'd have bought a bouquet of flowers, that would have been suffice. But that was Michael for you. Yeah, 
was uh, definitely there's definitely a lot of things, a lot, a lot of in, intrigues going on at Wembley that night for various oh, reasons. So many, so many. Um, you know, people forget that you know, like halfway through the show, Gary Beers' uh, wife Jody, the oh, water's yes. broke, yeah, and she was oh, she was really rushed off. She was rushed off to the you know the other end of the stadium to the stadium hospital or whatever they have there. Yeah. Yeah, just, you know there was. You know, there's a, there's a nice story out of that, wasn't she? Looking after everybody, it was fainting as well. That's right. She, well, <laughs> Her waters had broken, and she was yeah, that's right. Birth, and, and she's looking yeah, after all the kids. <laughs> I didn't know that. Exactly right. The whole lead up to to the show is so important. You know, you got to remember we've been on this world tour, and this is basically one of the last shows on on this world tour. And in excess, and I probably mentioned this to you before, it's like a giant flywheel. It takes time to get momentum. You go and see the first show in, you know, wherever that was in Italy or someplace, and it, mm, not great. But by the time they get to Wembley, and particularly they'd had a couple of weeks break just before Wembley, this thing was on fire. It was ready to prime, you know. So hats yeah, off to Murphy for spending all that money and saying, we're going to get David Mallet, we're going to get, you know, 17, 35 mil cameras, we've got a helicopter. Whatever he got it all together, mm. uh, and also I think I think that um, as we've said, it's like one of those few t- times in, in my life that I've been to see a band where you just go, every single thing was firing on all cylinders. It, it was like it, it just it was it was so perfect. I've never been seen a show that was that perfect. And what Mark did so brilliantly was. Because I've listened to a lot of albums. I see The Clash live, and The Clash is one of the best live bands I've ever seen, but they never came across live on record. But what Mark managed to capture on that mix of that live album was was actually proper live record where you felt the excitement of, of, the, of the show. It's usually... What usually happens with live records, they usually are rem- you feel removed from the show when you listen to a live record. You don't feel like you're part of it. You feel, like- but what Mark did with the record was he made it feel like you were actually standing right in the middle of Wembley watching a show. You felt the whole thing surrounding you and, and the excitement of it. And but also not just that, but capturing the perfection. Even though there were oddities that happened, like like Mark will explain to you when when it comes down to it, there were um, uh, Gary's uh, bass string broke or something, and, no, and, and his, his got, lead came out. His, his lead popped out of his guitar for for you know about two bars during one song. And Mark had to get him to replace the the the. the, the and that leads we're going to get to Glasgow in a minute because we have to. We, you can't talk about Wembley without talking about Glasgow. But, Absolutely. Um, you, uh, but but yeah, that that still to this day I listen to that record and it's the one live record that really captures a band live better than any other live record. And that's a the, lot. The, the interesting thing about uh, the, the mix of that was that. The day, you know, we'll get to the show itself, but the day after we went into Metropolis to, to do the basics for Shining Star and all that sort of stuff. And then the very next day I had to go into, um, and by this time the band was travelling up to England. They might, have, they might have even gone through Birmingham first, I'm not sure, but they ended up in, in, in Glasgow. I'm sitting in air studios totally by myself. I've got these big, two big giant reels of multi-track of the show shitting bricks what am I going to do the first thing I listened I listened through to the whole thing and I found two errors one as Nick pointed out Gary's bass was missing where it popped out and two at the start of Never Tear Us Apart sax solo you know that first long note 
that yeah. Kirk does, it was distorted. So, so I had two problems there. But the biggest problem I had was because it was Wembley, David Mel had shot it on all these cameras, all I had to look at was Michael's solo camera. I didn't have any of the crowd, didn't have anything. I just had this one camera that was that I synced the, the multi-tracks to that was just Michael's solo footage. That's all I had. And so, to, you know, to, and as Nick was saying, look, I'm really proud of that mix. The, the, the original one, not the Giles Martin remastered one, but the original Wembley video yeah, mix is, I count that as one of the best mixes I've ever done. And the reason yeah. for it is, is because I had to invent a concert sound. The band played killer. So I had to invent, so I went, I had to, I got these reverbs together with these delays. I had two delay settings, 200 and 400. For fast song, I'd use 200. For slow song, I'd use 400. And then I put that into a reverb chain to, to imitate the bouncing off the walls. Yeah, and so I, exactly. I stimulated the actual experience of being in the audience and yeah. hearing it sort of bouncing a little bit off the walls a bit. Yeah, and yeah, the other thing exactly. I did... Like, now, I do you guys do you other do you guys get that from listening to, to the record? I mean, you must have listened to other live records. You, do you see what I'm saying about that, that feeling of like you're standing in right in you're front in of the it. mixing desk, yeah, and 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 you just you just feel like it surrounds you, and mm. you know, and credit all credit to, to Mark on, on making that so real, and with exception of those two lyrics, the band also I think just hit their absolute pinnacle oh, yeah. of, 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 of everything that night. Jump back just to sort of mention this, just so people don't get this this confused when we talk about ecstasy. And and um, I don't want people to think that oh, it was just a bunch of like people all popping pills and getting high. It only just been created a class A drug. It was a drug that that was like helped to help couples get to back together. And it was a it was a it was a, the, the the love. It was the love drug, and and it definitely made everyone happy. And I don't know to this day why it was banned. You know, because it didn't do it. It, it single handedly cured soccer hooliganism in England. Because all exactly these, right. uh, yeah. Uh, so, so from that hatred became this great amount of love. And I've got plenty of stories about when I got involved with hooligans that would all eat up. It it never interfered with what we were doing in terms of what our work was. It, everybody on that job. And during that period, what their asses off. It was. It was. It was just that also the ecstasy. The ecstasy at that stage hadn't been cut with strychnine and all these other things, you know, that, that that happened later on. It was still ecstasy. Was still like it was in '86 at the Hacienda, you know, yes. in, in Manchester and, and things like that. You know, it was still that. And there's a great podcast on it. I wish I could remember its name. On, on, on that deals with that whole period. But you're absolutely right. And. And the, 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 the band were at such 
a peak, and remember it was the stairs, which I think is about the fifth song in, where, um, you know, it's like, okay, it was a signal, and, you know, if you look closely, you can see Kirk chewing, and Tim <laughs> dropped this at the same time. You know, um, obviously Michael slipped his in, I slipped mine in, I'm in the, I'm in the BBC truck with all these people and I've got I've also got the record another record truck because I'm mixing live for London BBC London and I've also got you know to, uh, the Manor Mobile recording the stuff as well which you know I have to pop in and out and see if they're okay but when getting back to that mix I just had Michael's solo camera so the first thing I did you know as I told you all inventing the crowd but the very first thing I did was bring up Johnny's bass drum that's the first thing and got it so it was thumping in my chest. So it's all I could hear was a bass drum and a little bit of spill. Then I brought up Michael's vocal and put it on top of it. And that was the key to everything. And then I brought everything around that so it fitted around the bass drum and Michael's vocal and everything slotted around that. And then I put the icing sugar of the, um, of the, uh, of the stadium sound that I'd invented to put around that and as well as keeping the audience mics up as loud as I could. And the way I ended up mixing it, because I had two giant rolls, and there was obviously, uh, that's why, what's the song that was missing from the original uh, set? Uh, lately. We considered that the weakest song. And so that was purposely put in the middle to give me time to change rolls of tape, basically, and, and do it like that. But so I've got two rolls of tape. So I haven't just mixed each song individually, and this is part of what Nick's talking about, about capturing the sound. I've mixed one hour as one song but in other words 11 songs I've mixed all in one go I've just keep the whole thing rolling the whole time not go through and do that because I'm relying on the fact well not a lot's going to change because of you know what it is sure the song's going to change but no one's you know all the volumes and all that and that really helped me and the fact that I did the whole thing in two days was even better because I had the pressure on I had no one next to me I had to do this as I heard it and just do it, you know, as opposed to when we overdid the the album album, which was had songs from around the world on it, it, you know, we disappeared up our own asses on that one a little bit. You know, we you know, we didn't do any overdubs but, but it just got too polished. Yeah. But this one, this was a performance, this was the culmination of the X tour. This was the band at its best. I have never, ever seen a better show from anybody. You me. Than that show no, that night. And to be there, and, and that's part of that thing that Nick was talking about before, where we really felt like we were part of it. Because Nick's got to be, he's, he's got, Nick's got staff working here, taking photographs, doing all sorts of stuff as well. Yeah. He, he's got people. Yeah, well, I, think that's, I mean, yeah, I've got, well, I, I didn't have quite as much of a commitment as you did, Mark, because what I was doing was I, Andrew Southam did the photographs, and Andrew Southam we used to work with um, with Grant Matthews, and yeah. and we chose Andrew to come and do it. So I was I was just there really. My, my job was like as a cheerleader, really. I mean, I I, I kind of like my work started after the show. You know, my, my thing yeah, started I after the show. Really, Nick, you're not paying yourself enough. You never does credit here because you know. Well, I, we go back. Your cheerleading started a lot of, uh, earlier. That your cheerleading. I remember we were in LA at what was that hotel at um, uh, Four Seasons in LA. You know, you were you were. Oh quite, yeah, 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 the Four Seasons. You, yeah. you know, you turn up with Julia Roberts and whoever <laughs> else and all that sort I of stuff. That, yeah. Nick, myself, Michael, the rest of the band were pretty much fuddy duddies. Uh, my engineer Niven. 
And you know, Nevin, I'm I'm Nevin Garland, yeah. And Nevin yeah. Garland, there's Nevin, and he's got yeah. Julia Roberts on his fucking arm telling Robert Chabale yeah. to get out of the seat. The lady needs to sit down. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> you know, and that night went on. I think we ran out of petrol somewhere, and you had a Lamborghini or something. You know, what? Maserati. No, I had a Maserati. Maserati. That's right. ran, ran out of petrol yeah. down Third, third Street or something right. like that. All over town. In your big car. Windows down. vibe you can tell he's an excited boy and, and you can tell that he loves what he does and he's a very creative person but not just creative in the physical sense he's very creative in the mental sense yes and what he's imbibing to people like michael and to, to those of us around him is this sense of uh, creativeness that it, 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 you just can't buy you know nick and i've talked about how cool it you know the kick cover is like you've talked about it we've all talked about it and why certain people are on the fronts and why certain people are on the back. Which, if I coming back to Wembley, when I remember Nick was going through all the photographs and he said, that's the shot. And it's Michael, the shot that you see of Michael with yeah. the arms spread Jesus, Jesus Christ posy, you know, yeah. And, and you see yeah. the background of the crowd and you can also see one of the cameras sort of down. I don't know if that was cut out in the end, but there's one of the film cameras down the corner. And, yeah. and and he's going, this is the shot, this is the shot. I and mean, he showed me the shot. I said, that's definitely the shot. He said, but I'm getting resistance. And he'd gone to Michael, you know, to say, this is the shot. And Michael said, mate, you're on your own on this one because oh, yeah. it's just me, you know, you know where it's, it's, where it's, a, it's a, live album, a live video about the band. And Who of was course, resisting? Chris? Pardon? Was Chris resisting that it should have oh, been I think other band members, mate. No, 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 no. This, this is where I'm getting to. And uh, I can remember, and I said, okay, you know, I agree with you. And, you know, Nick was adamant, and I was, I know, I said, I totally agree. That's a shot. Totally agree. And so I went and spoke, and, I, you know, so I, you know I, I figured out where the, the, the path of resistance was coming from. And I hope Andrew doesn't mind me saying this if he's listening to the And, um, and, and, you know, but it was, I'm sure that the, the whole band, we, we, they're a very democratic band, you know, all, it's, yeah. you know all, all in, one for all, one, you know, all for one. Mm-hmm. And, but I remember speaking to Andrew and, and Andrew was saying to me, yeah, but, you know, Michael's always on the front, you know, he was on the kick cover and I was in the back. I deserve to be on, 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 on <laughs> the band deserves to be on it. And I've had this long conversation with Andrew and I said, yeah, I hear exactly what you're talking about, but everyone has a role to play in this band. You know, you're a great writer, you're a great guitar player, you're a great keyboard player, you're a better guitar player than a keyboard player, for God's sake. He's the guy that does all the riffs, yeah. all, that, yeah, that, yeah. all that funk stuff. Yeah. That's Andrew. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, which not, not everyone knows. That's, you know, I mean, Tim's unique and Kirk's unique as well. 
but when it comes to that sort of funk stuff, that's and, – and, but anyway, so I had this long talk and said everyone has a role to play in this band, you know, like from Tim's early days, from managing the band to becoming the the uh, the best spokesman for the band at press conferences because he can intercept any Michael question that, you know, oh, Michael, why'd you break up with Kylie? Tim will dive across, intercept that ball and change the subject and talk about something else and everyone's laughing. Gary was the, the person that was the gatekeeper of the music, in other words. Tim would be playing, he'd turn around to to to, to, to Gary because he'd forget the start of the song. And before, he wouldn't even ask Gary. Gary would just say, it starts in E, you know, and without him asking, you know what I mean? So, And then John was controlling the stage. He had total control of the stage is what John did. And, you know, Kirk... He was, he was the main man to get his whole ambition for any time they went on stage was to get through without making one mistake. If he made a mistake early in, in, the, in the set, that was it for him. He could never catch up. John, doesn't it? Because John was in the tent in his little temple. That's right. There and you go. <laughs> and, now, and then, of course, so here we all are. Bring this back to the dressing room again. Yes. Where it's just me doing, and you know, Chris doing his thing, and uh, Jeff Pope looking around everywhere, making sure everyone was okay, and you know, last minute this, and of course, it's getting really close to showtime. Johnny's got overexcited. He's in, he's gone. He's in the tent at the stage. And so he, he just jumped up and started. was not rehearsed that was not rehearsed that start of that show was not rehearsed that wasn't meant to be like that it was supposed to be a smallish drumming sorry not John just going on and and it, and that was a key to the whole thing in terms of the performance because we were all up there I didn't got down to the truck they were rolling in the truck and I just raced out of there the bands just raced down to the stage you know going, oh shit you know I can because we can hear this coming through the walls, you know. <laughs> and then, and then Nick, as Nick rightly points out, then Michael gets there. Michael puts on the in excess charisma coat, you know, the Michael mm-hmm. Hutchins charisma coat, 
you know, just before he goes on stage. I mean, he already he's already vibed up, but that was all bravado. But but when it gets down to business, as Michael said to me in, in Paris one day, you know, the thing about in excess is when we when we go on stage, I have to go to the in excess shop and put on the Michael Hutchins charisma code. It wasn't really so much the size of the audience, it was the fact that it was us in England and it was in excess day on BBC radio, you know, and that was blasting backstage in the dressing rooms. 16 cameras and a helicopter with a camera in it out there to film it. And, you know, someone offered to fly Michael and I in on a helicopter before the show to do this, that and the other. It was, it was like someone was going like, how nervous can we make it? Come on. It's a song from the 60s in Australia from a band called The Loved Ones called The Loved One. So, but just to get, to get back to because we were talking about the cover and the thing about the, the, the resistance from the, from the from the band I mean and it was a difficult thing for me because I also realised that this was going to this was Michael again it could have been anyone it just was uh, okay I thought to the Tash London Calling and I, and I thought to that photograph of Paul Simonon with the bass and he's smashing the bass and you can't see Paul Simonon's face but it's an iconic picture. And that picture of Michael reminded me of the statue in Rio of Jesus standing up yeah. with his arms yeah. spread. And all Brazil, you can see yeah. in the background of the mountains. And that's it. And, and, and I looked at that picture and I just said, you can't see Michael's face. I just said, as soon as I saw it, I went to the, and Andrew Southern did a great job. All the photos were great, fantastic. But I just, the moment I saw that picture, I thought, there's no, I, I, I mean, I couldn't, I wanted it to be someone else, but it just happened to be Michael. And my thing is, to people is, is it a great photograph first and foremost? And this happens to me when I do videos with bands and I did, you know, do, I'll give you an example, Motley Crue, you know, they go through every single thing and they count how many times they're in it as opposed to the next person. And I said, nobody <laughs> does that. I said, nobody does it. The audience and the fans don't do that. They look at it and is it, the, the question is, is it a great video? Is it a great video the way it stands? Nobody's going to count how many times. And this is the same thing with this picture. Is it a great video? And and, my, and Michael only said you're on your own on this time because he knew that it was going to be resistance from the band again. And, and he had supported me and backed me up on the previous covers or anything else. But I mean, people do forget that the ex or the band were on the covers. So, I mean, it was, only, it was only kick when Michael was on the cover. And Michael wasn't on the cover by himself. It was it was with Kirk and John. So, so I think- And only half of his face. Yeah, but that's the point. So so this was the only time, this is the only time when Michael was on the cover by himself. And 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 it wasn't even Michael, it was another person. It was another it was almost like a a godlike godlike person. So 
That's how we ended Michael up. Michael probably be the, the last guy to be instigating that type of decision. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's what he said. He exactly. said, Nick, this is, you know, you're on your own here, buddy. You know, and uh, which is because he had to, you know, and not that he didn't like the photograph or anything like that. He, he obviously appreciates a great photograph. He had a very artistic sense. But, you know, just to, just, yeah, just two quick things. I'd like to bring Cameron in in a second. They say imitation's the greatest sort of, I guess, you know, flattery. Um, I know, Nick, you worked with Oasis, but I think 2002, they had a live album come out called Familiar well, Millions. that was a dig. That was a dig. No, not <laughs> at all. Not at all. I, I like Oasis, yeah. so uh, not at all. Not yeah. at all. Okay, cool. um, you, you had, I mean, we've shared the anecdote about Liam apologising yeah. for those issues that, you know, which you explained really, really well. I, they, they had a live album come out called Familiar to Millions, and it was rich, literally a rip-off cover. Uh, at Wembley of, uh, of Liam with the arms in the sort of uh, uh, pose that was similar. Um, oh, but an anecdote. But um, uh, look, I've got obviously Cameron here from Herald Sun and I know him and I crossed paths today just about the legacy of things. And look, the production values of that concert still stand up given it is 30 years of technology ago. Um, the production values still seem great. Um, I guess, Cameron, I know you've got a, a few things maybe you want to ask or inquire, but it really is a, a legacy sort of, I guess, concert, you know, that probably resonates still to today, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And, and the guys touched on it before, but if you think about the fact that they, and I know Tim talks best on the podcast, but they were in excess of playing with Queen at Wembley and it was only five years before this show. So that's an incredible amount of, you know, that's, that's the momentum there to go from supporting someone at Wembley to headlining Wembley in five years in England. And I think they were being, you know, the Queen fans were throwing bread at them, you know, and then five years <laughs> later they've, they've filled that venue. It's just, it's an yeah. incredible momentum and, you know. It was like a coronation, really. But I think the thing that people do forget about that show, it wasn't just, it was it was like a festival because you had Jesus Jones, I think Blondie were on the bill, weren't they? Yeah, Deborah Harry. Yeah, Harry. It was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it I mean, talking about the, the Wembley show that we're talking about, it was it was it was about seven, six or seven bands I think played on there all together. So it wasn't just like it was just an in excess show with a support act. It wasn't like it was they created the festival, which is what I thought was so great about it. I mean, it created a great vibe of, of music. I didn't see. I, I think I got to see Jesus Jones for a second. They were really at the. They're a one-hit wonder group, but they they were great that night, and and so it wasn't just like it wasn't just like you know, they, they they utilized the popularity of of the groups around them at the time, which is what was great about in excess, and what Michael's love of music was. He he loved music, and he wanted to help bands, and he wanted to like be supportive of other bands and, and, and he, you know, because he, he loved music so much. So, so I just think that people do forget that it was actually more of a festival than it was just, just an NXS show at Wembley. It was and bigger just, than that. Yeah. Tim, last week we asked him, you know, you know I think one thing that NXS legacy is, is that they'll never prima donnas. They didn't come back to Australia after this gig and, um, you know, swan on through. We didn't have social media, the internet, and it almost like this concert sort of, uh, unless you were a fan in Australia, there wasn't the media platforms to really know that it happened unless uh, you probably followed, you know, the news that night or two nights later. Right. Um, nowadays with YouTube and all the platforms, you can access it, but they're quite humble about it. Which yes, is, Can I just is, mention that the production values that Cameron was talking about, and I'm talking about the show's production. One of the genius things about the, that show was the timing of when In Excess went on stage because it enabled you to see to take in the band in daylight and and see the, the whole thing and everyone see the whole crowd around themselves. But as the show went on, it went into night. 
which allowed the lights to come in and play a part two effect to the whole mm. thing. That was that was very important, and that's a, one thing great about the video. It's just not this night show. It starts in day and it ends in yeah. in, in night. And I that think VX Tour had the best lighting stuff that they'd ever had. I think for but memory. more importantly, yeah. it was the, the daytime into night allowed all that stuff to to be noticed gradually and and stuff to come up, and it gave another element to the show itself. Very important. Yeah. He deserves a lot of credit as well for for, for the way that thing was shot. I mean, it, 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 it was shot so brilliantly. And so, because um, again, it's the same thing with live shows that shot, you know, videos or films of live shows, they never really live up to the expectation of the show itself. They're always a bit flat. They fall a bit flat, like the music falls a bit flat. Or in this case, both the music and the, vi the film that went with it totally put you in that, arena mm. on that time and 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 it wasn't just like looking at the screen it and it's without it being surround sound it's surrounded it's the whole thing surrounded you and david mallet's filming of that was was epic i thought it was like it was like it was oh, like yeah. um yeah the, the the lawrence of arabia of of, of live live shows because it was so, a white shot yeah 70 mil yeah yeah the helicopter shot you know going over yeah. the stadium seeing this full stadium that gives you a that fills you tingles your spine when you see that I stuff. know and the shots from behind John you know they, they were all fantastic and I just remember when it came to the encore I, I got a certain sadness when it end, was ending because I realised that this was something that I needed to remember for the rest of my life because this was something that was so good I wanted to hold on to that memory of, of it and when they came on and they did um, I, I devil, was Devil Inside the last song the last song was yeah. It? yeah the, the last song and the way Andrew was playing the bit and Michael was going, the way Michael was singing, he was doing that that repeat and and then and then I just thought, hey, it was a brilliant version of Devil Inside. But um but when it ended and they all kind of got together, I just felt this kind of sadness because I thought, I'm never gonna see this again. And and that wasn't even to sort of predict that they would never get to Wembley again. It just was like really special that I've shared with 80 odd thousand people that, that this this is something that only happens maybe once in a lifetime, no, you know, maybe twice at the most, that you see something, you realize you have been at something very, very special. And this is a really special place. And 
the high that we were on, the natural high I'm talking about, <laughs> not the, not the, but the, the, everyone was on, it's almost like you didn't need to have the ecstasy because everyone was on such a high after that show. I've never seen the band such great mood. Everyone's in a great mood. I mean, I, I was running between the Royal Box because I was sitting in the Royal Box at Wembley between the Royal Box and backstage because uh, I, I was running back because the band always had a big... Uh, Rider, Rider had a great rider, and they had Don Perrin on champagne. I just always remember running back, and one time I ran backstage, and the eeriness of being backstage when the band is on stage is is, is weird because this place that not long before was thriving with energy and people, like I said, this little village running around was deserted. It was like ghost light, and I remember running into the dressing room to grab a bottle because they didn't sell the champagne outside. And besides, it was like I wasn't going to pay two hundred dollars, two hundred pounds for a bottle. Champagne. And the only other person sitting in the dressing room was Rhett at that point. I bumped into Rhett and it was, we sat and we sat and talked for Rhett a minute. Rhett was in was the dressing really room quiet. while his brother's on the stage. Yeah. All right. He went for the same reason I did to go and get a drink. But and all you could hear, you all you could hear was this boom, 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 upstage of the band. And, and that was that was just an odd odd feeling to, to sort of feel there was this energy and you could hear this crowd, it was just, you could hear it sort of. From from a distance, and then you, I'd go up between that and because I had a guest list of my own, I had about twelve people on my guest list, so I I, I was also entertaining people that were sitting, sitting out in in the um out in the stands out in the royal boxes. It were not actually where the queen sits, just a couple of seats behind the queen. And I and, and I just remember that I, I was running around and I was going into the crowd. I was going into the crowd by the mixing, just in front of the mixing desk. I tried to go into the crowd as deep as I could. I went to the very, very, very back of Wembley at the worst seat you could ever get because I wanted to take in the full experience of what it was like to be in every part of that thing. So I went right to the back and the very back, the furthest away. And I felt sorry for those people, really, because they, they, they paid for nothing. It was a terrible view. And then I tried to get as close to the front. So I went all around Wembley to get that experience because I, I was thinking at the time, this is something that is really magical and I want to know what everybody experienced from it and that actually helped me I mean it sounds you know iffy but but it helped me with the design of the cover because it helped me understand what it was that I experienced that I wanted people to experience by looking at the cover and that that feeling of even the graffiti inside like on the wall and because uh, I remember going into some of the toilets and there was graffiti and people were writing stuff up so Andrew Farris that, was here <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, and so and so I wanted to get that. I wanted to get that awesome experience because then it ended. Guys, I'm gonna have to love you and leave you now. All right, Thank you so you. much. Thank All you. Great right. chat. On your mark. Yesterday on your well, mark. Mate. See you, mate. Okay. Bye. See you, Good baby. night. Sleep well. Bye. Hey, this is David from Carpet. 
Hi, this is Katie from England. G'day, it's Paul from Sydney. Hi, this is Ella from the Netherlands. This is Dr. Jim and that's a wrap. Wow. Uh, boy, that was like a tennis match. Seeing Nick, uh, you know, Wimbledon's on at the moment. It was like Nick was 15 love and then suddenly, you know, Mark had come back 15 all and that was like uh, eight, six in the fifth set. That was awesome hearing it was just, back and forth. I think we've just enjoyed all of that, haven't we? Just sitting back and listening to it all. It actually took you right there, though, up to those towers and feeling the energy of the crowd and just yeah, and then watching your mates transform into these super rock gods, you know? Wow. Well, look, probably less than 5% of our listening audience or whatever there probably were there. So mm. we've always tried to, these podcasts, is, is bring people back in time, so to speak, into the uh, the DeLorean and put yourself back front mm-hmm. and square. And and I know as a, as a sort of a, just a listener and as a bit of a fan of those, of, of, of those guys, uh, it was just great um, sort of almost being put uh, front and square uh, at Wembley on that day. And hearing about all the other people that were involved as well, you know, it wasn't just just Chris Murphy and the band. There was a huge uh, entourage behind them of people yeah. that, that made that day very, very special. Yeah. And look, as you probably noticed, listeners, it was probably uh, we, we tried not to get in the way too much with asking too many questions because, you know, Mark and, and Nick did have a chance to sort of, you know, correspond the day before we recorded and um, they really um, – you know, brought to the table, I guess, a really sort of, I, th- I felt like it was really cohesive, just a really good individual inside of their experiences there that seemed to come across. And uh, I know episode two, we probably hear a fraction more from Mark because Nick did have to cut things a fraction shorter than, than both uh, Cameron and to go and, to and, bed, bless him. Mark. Yeah, Aww. but um, there's still some great stuff to come from everybody yes. in episode two. So, but yeah, that was, that was great. That was really, really generous of those guys to, to get on, et cetera, there for that. For that uh, yeah, for thank that you Cameron. very much, Mark and Nick and Cameron. Now, you want to reference something for Nick there. We thought we'd just give some acknowledgement to something for Nick that he's doing. Yeah, um, Nick's, well, Nick's so given and very special and he actually does unique art and pieces of bands and um, artists and he does some really gorgeous stuff with graphics as well, with gold leaf, in fact. I'll try and find it and put the link into the um, piece for us. Did you hear my doorbell then? <laughs> is, that, is, that? Tim, is, is that Timmy with Uber? Hang on, I'm just going. <laughs> it's another present. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll find that. It's on Etsy. And I know that there's a few people that have been like wowed by the, um, the getting a piece of art from Nick Egan. Uh, <laughs> wet art. You know, it's just been finished. Yeah. And he makes me laugh. He's just ruined his fabulous new studio with gold leafer all over his carpet oh. that's the artist in him, in him isn't it mm. well also too uh, i'd like to sort of acknowledge this remind you know we touched upon it earlier but uh, mark uh, has got two sort of production gigs coming up i think one in january mm. i think with jacob's run here in melbourne uh, and also there's another project i think he's doing via england and sort of a back and forth uh, sort of uh, collaboration as well. So, you know, he's going to be uh, particularly busy over the next few months, which I think he's itching to get into because he's yeah. probably uh, like a lot of our music industry here suffered with uh, with lockdown and things. Um, but also want to just highlight with Cameron, uh, with Cameron Adams, he, as I said, with the Herald Sun, with uh, all online sort of platforms now around the world, um, if you're keen about Australian music and entertainment and in excess and different things, definitely, um, you know, punch into the Herald Sun or punch into Cameron Adams' articles because, 
he's uh, got a really good grasp on, uh, I guess, the entertainment industry on a global level. And um, uh, he's always providing great insights in his articles and things like that as well. So mm-hmm. I'm sure Cameron would love to reach a few more international you know, people and this platform might help him with that as well. So again, you know, thanks for coming on too, B. It was good to have you there and ourselves sitting there, little giggly fans looking at each other, <laughs> weren't we, you know? With my Wembley backdrop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And even, even for Cameron, we were sort of three of us were sort of sitting there just going, okay, well, this Whoa. just rolls along. Less of us was probably better. Less of my silly voice, the better, I think. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah. All right, well, we're back next Sunday. Well, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.
Thank you. 